No Adley Rutschman, no Felix Bautista, no Yenye Cano, and no problem for the Baltimore Orioles as Colton Kowser comes up clutch and the O's win again in Philadelphia on Monday night. I'll recap it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, July 25th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap another thrilling Orioles victory as they beat the Phillies 3-2 on Monday night. I'll give you the five things you need to know from that one, including Westberg and Kowser coming up clutch, Aaron Hicks leaving with injury, and the bullpen without their big two righties somehow piecing together a victory. Then we'll do a little check-in on the Orioles roster that we're doing this week leading up to the trade deadline. We're only a week away from the deadline, so wanted to check in on the three phases of the game for the Orioles. We'll start with the starting pitching. Where does their rotation stand, and do the Orioles need an upgrade at this point? And finally, some Orioles news and notes to finish off the pod, including a report that linked the Orioles to Shohei Otani. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So we start today with another Orioles victory. Final score from Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia on Monday night is the Orioles 3 and the Phillies 2 as the O's take Game 1 of a three-game set. They continue to play just really good baseball here and have now won five out of six. With the Rays being off on Monday night, the Orioles extend their lead in the AL East to two and a half games and with the win get to 62 and 38 on the year. A season high 24 games over 500 for the Orioles and they are now a major league best 19 and 9 in one run games after the 3 to 2 victory on Monday. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the win on Monday night. The first thing you need to know is the Orioles rookies, their most recent call-ups came up clutch in this one. It started with Jordan Westberg, who got the start at second base, batting fifth in this game for the Orioles. He had a whole lot of putouts. It seemed like every Phillies hitter hit at least one ground ball to Jordan Westberg in this game, but he did it with the bat as well. Now, he only got one hit, but it was a big one. Westberg with his first career home run in the big leagues, coming in the second inning off of Phillies left-hander Christopher Sanchez, who I got to say was pretty good seven innings two runs and eight strikeouts with no walks for Sanchez I'd really like the O's to get a guy like that but Westberg was able to ambush him in inning number two for his first career big fly just kind of laced it the other way down the line into the corner kept it fair 100 miles per hour off the bat traveled 356 feet for his first career homer the solo dinger that gave the O's the lead but then it was Colton Kowser who had the biggest hit of the day. As Kowser comes up with a runner on third and two outs in a 2-2 game in the top of the ninth, facing Craig Kimbrell, who's kind of had a little bit of a renaissance this year. He was an all-star. He's been pretty good as the Phillies' closer. And Kowser gets it done with what is really his first big hit in an Orioles uniform. He gets an RBI double to give the O's the lead. And even with that RBI double, I mean, Kowser's still hitting just 128 since he was called up last month. So 
you know, it's not like he is lighting the world on fire right now, but hopefully that double can spark him just a bit. Now, his hit just 83 miles per hour off the bat, but he looped it down the left field line. Helps to have better outfielders out there. It was Kyle Schwarber playing left. He dove for it, hit off his glove, couldn't quite get to it. And Kowser in there with the RBI double that would end up being the game-winning hit. And that is just huge for Colton Kowser, who didn't even start this game. We'll get to that in a second. Had some tough matchups, has to face Kimbrell, and delivers in a huge, huge way for the Orioles. Second thing you need to know from this one is Ryan Mountcastle. Must have been a real good feeling for him on Monday night. Mountcastle with a solo shot in the sixth inning, also off the starter Sanchez, that put the Orioles up 2-1 to one at the time. It was his first home run since May 24th. It has been a long time with the struggles at the plate and then the vertigo that caused him to miss about a month. Now basically a platoon player for the Orioles. It's been a while since Mountcastle has gone deep. But on this pitch that he hit out in the sixth inning to give the O's the lead, it was a hanging changeup, and he took out a lot of frustration. Hit it to dead center, 112.3 miles per hour off the bat, 451 feet for Ryan Mountcastle, third longest homer by any Oriole this year, and it gave the O's the 2-1 to advantage. Listen, I know he struggled this year, but he still crushes lefties, and that is exactly what he did in that at-bat to give the O's the lead. Gotta feel good for Mountie, who's trying to hold on to that roster spot right now for the Orioles. Third thing you need to know from this one is not a great thing on the injury side. Aaron Hicks left this game early after kind of a really awkward play in this game. In the third inning, he goes diving for a ball in center field. Initially, it looks like he catches it, but then he is slow to get up, kind of stays down for a while, and finally Brian Ebel comes out there with Brandon Hyde, and Hicks kind of limps off the field. Then they go to the replay, and it kind of clearly shows that Hicks, when after he caught the ball and kind of brought his glove in towards his body, clearly dropped it and then trapped the ball underneath of him. They had a long you know, delay for Hicks being injured. For some reason, Rob Thompson and the Phillies didn't challenge it. Ended up being a big out for the Orioles. But other than that, Hicks did leave the game. Now, the Orioles called it a hamstring cramp, but Brandon Hyde told the media after the game that they're hoping it's a cramp. That was kind of the initial diagnosis, but they haven't done any further testing. Hyde said Hicks will get more testing today, so we'll know more about that. I'll kind of give you an update on tomorrow's episode. I know Aaron Hicks hasn't been necessarily tearing the cover off the ball, you know, since he really started off well with the Orioles, but with Cedric Mullins on the IL for we don't know how long at this point, they really kind of need Aaron Hicks. This would not be a good time for him to miss some time with an injury. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Dean Kramer wasn't exactly dominant, but he was certainly rolling in this game for the Orioles. Just when the O's needed it most, they had a depleted bullpen. Kramer goes seven innings for the O's on Monday night, allowing just one run on three hits, strikes out three and walks two without a home run allowed, and threw just 95 pitches to lower his ERA to 4.59. And the big thing for Kramer, who's been hit around hard a lot this season, just five hard hit balls in seven innings for Dean in this start, continues a very, very good month of July for Dean Kramer in his four starts. And listen, he only got eight swings and misses on 45 swings. He wasn't missing a lot of bats, but it was a whole lot of soft contact from Dean Kramer. I felt like of all the starts I've watched from Dean Kramer since he was called up by the Orioles in 2020, I felt like that was, and this is just kind of the eye test. I haven't looked at the numbers on this, but 
it felt like that was the most weak ground balls he had gotten in any start. It felt like every Phillies hitter was rolling it over to second base. And Kramer just kept getting the outs. So efficient with 95 pitches through seven. He's been up and down this season. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you look at the ERA and it's still not, you know, anything close to elite, anything close to something that makes you feel real good. It's still 4.59, but this was a huge start for the Orioles. He could have even gone out there in the eighth, you know, if it wasn't a two-to-one game at that point. Just great stuff. Great stuff from Dean Kramer. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 3-2 win over the Phillies on Monday night is that the bullpen, without Yenye Cano, without Felix Bautista, without Mike Bauman, they were all available. And to be honest, Shintaro Fujinami was available, but Brandon Hyde probably would have rather not used him a third time in four days. So you're down potentially four of your eight relievers, including maybe your three best ones right now in Bauman, Cano, and Bautista. And the Orioles still found a way to win this game. Now, it wasn't pretty, right? Danny Coulomb comes in in the eighth inning with the two-to-one lead, relieving Kramer. Yeah, didn't, uh, didn't go so hot. Kramer lets the first two batters on with a single and a walk, then gets a little luck on his side with the line-out double play off the bat of Edmundo Sosa. Then, well, the Orioles, after another hit, go to Brian Baker. And Brian Baker gets ahead of Nick Castellanos 0-2, and then goes to 3-2, and two, and then hangs a slider. Castellanos drives it into left center field. But attentive fielding by the Orioles. Kowser gets it into Mateo. Mateo, with a line drive, fires one to the plate, and they are able to cut down Bryce Harper. Now, the tying run did score, but they just barely got Harper at the plate. If that throw is a half second later, I think the Orioles maybe lose this game. I mean, you know, they still could have gotten the run in the ninth to tie the game like they did to take the lead, but they could have been down 3-2 to two heading into the ninth. Instead, perfect relay from the O's. They cut off what would have been the go-ahead run, but they did tie it off Baker. And then you're still without Bautista. You know, the O's take the lead on the Cowser double in the top of the ninth, and they go to CNL Perez. And I thought, you know, Brandon Hyde may have stuck with Baker. I know that he, you know, only allowed the hit, and that was the only battery face, but he only threw seven pitches. And so I figured they might go back to him just because the bullpen isn't super well-rested. But they went to CNL Perez with the lefties up. He got the first two batters out. Then he allowed a single. And then he walked. What ended up being JT Romuto as a pinch hitter. And it was Johan Rojas, who already had two hits on the day. Hit a ball hard, but hit it right to shortstop. Jorge Mateo was there to field it and get the out. And the Orioles somehow, some way. With Coulomb, Baker, and Perez, none of them looking particularly dominant, were able to get out of there with the victory. Shout out to Perez, who had his second career stave. is starting to look better and better for the Orioles out of the bullpen. Doesn't look like his 2022 self yet, but it's better. If they can find a way without Bautista and Cano, feels like this O's team can do anything at this point. And, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing, right? Five out of six wins, two and a half games up in the division, 24 games over 500. And yes, they don't have the sexiest run differential at this point. It's only about plus 49. And yeah, they've won a lot of one-run games. And yeah, they've had a lot of comeback wins, the most in baseball. But a win's a win. And when you're 24 games over 500, you're doing something right. And that's what the Orioles are doing right now. And a big thing, big reason why they won Monday's game was the starting pitching. They got seven strong innings from Dean Kramer. But even with that, it still feels like the Orioles could definitely use a bullpen arm. And I still think they could use a starting pitcher. And the deadline's only a week away. So coming up next, we're going to kind of do a reset on the Orioles rotation, where it stands, 
who's pitching well, who's maybe not, and what the O's would do if they brought in an outside arm to supplement this rotation. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Game Time. You've heard me talk about Game Time before. This is just basically kind of where I get my tickets now. Like, yeah, you know, a couple of people might, you know, you're in Baltimore, you know some people, you might get a couple of free tickets sometimes. But when I can't get those, it's basically going to Game Time because I'm close to the stadium, right? I don't really have to make that decision. I'm lucky in that way. I don't have to make the decision well in advance to go to a game. So I'm thinking day of, maybe I go to the O's game. Boom. Game time is right there. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Well, game time's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the games you want to go to, including the Orioles games. Killer deals on last-minute tickets, and they've got a best price guarantee. The app is also so easy to use. You log on to the app. Everything is right there. The Orioles are right on the screen. They've got images of the seats before you buy them, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And you buy the tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps, you're set, and they're set directly to your phone. I could buy them standing right outside of Utah Street. They'd be sent right to my phone. I'd scan them and go right in. It's so easy. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. That could easily be two tickets to the game right there. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price. Guaranteed. So the Orioles took down the Phillies 3-2 on Monday night to take Game 1 of a three-game set. And one of the big reasons why is they got really strong starting pitching. Dean Kramer, seven strong innings, allowing just one run in this one to help the O's to this victory. And I wanted to talk starting pitching here because we are now one week away from the trade deadline. It's 4 p.m. Eastern time next Tuesday, August 1st. That is the deadline. And all the talk has been, will the O's add a starter? Will the O's add a starter? Well, we think they could also use a reliever probably. And if Hicks and Mullins are hurt, maybe they could add an outfielder as well. Like they could add anything to this team at the deadline right now. They've got the prospects to do it. But this week on the pod, leading up to the deadline, I know the O's have already made one deal, you know, acquiring Fujinami last week from the A's. But leading up to the deadline, I wanted to, over the next three episodes, just kind of do a reset on each part of the Orioles roster. Starting rotation, bullpen, and the position players to see where they're kind of at right now, you know? They are now 100 games into the season, right? It's kind of a good point to regroup on the team. And see where they're at, what narratives are true, what narratives are false, and what they really do need to improve on. Because the deadline's kind of the last time to be able to supplement your team heading into a playoff race. So we start with the starting rotation today. And that's shout out to Dean Kramer, who pitched really well on Monday night. So let's start with Dean Kramer. I want to just run through the rotation. 4.59 ERA now for Kramer. But July's been really good. He has been huge for the Orioles, kind of, not resurgence this month, but after a June that was a little rocky. Getting right back to it even better in July. Four starts in July, 24 and two-thirds innings. He has a 2.92 ERA. 13 hits, 22 Ks to just nine walks. And he's been good. Now, the peripherals all season, like the batted ball data, the expected stats, all that stuff, it has not been good. Just take a look at Dean Kramer's baseball savant page. It's a lot of blue. That's not what you want. You want a lot of red on those sliders. He seems like he is due for some regression. Now, he's had some starts that are just pure regression. Like, Kramer has had some bad starts this year, like some really bad starts. But he seemed to follow them up with really good ones every time he has. And 
He's had three good starts in July and one kind of bad start. That's been his month so far, but it's still a 2.92 ERA, and you will take that every single time out there. And it's not like he's throwing some super dominant pitches. It's a lot of fastballs, you know, between the four-seamer, the cutter, and the sinker. He's kind of gotten rid of the sweeper. He's throwing mostly change-ups as his off-speed right now, just attacking hitters like that. But you do have to think about, you know, what Kramer, like these other pitchers, is approaching right now. He's now thrown 115 and two-thirds innings. His professional high was last season. Between his couple of starts he made in the minors and then all he did in the majors last year after the injury, 134 and a third innings last season. That was the professional best in terms of innings pitched for Dean Kramer, including minor and major league seasons. So right now, he's looking at about 20 innings past that. I mean, you're looking at four more starts and Dean Kramer easily is going to be past that number. I mean, the O's are going to be looking for, I would say, at least eight more starts from Dean Kramer. So you do start to worry a little bit. Now, Kramer's the one I'm least worried about, kind of the innings limit. He's been fairly healthy throughout his career. He's pitched a lot, even in the minor leagues. I think he can do it. He pitched down the stretch last year and pitched well. I think he can do it. But it is a little concerning that the ERA is still that high. He has those really bad blow-up starts sometimes, and the peripherals, it could go off a cliff at some point here, like for multiple straight starts, not just one bad start. Then there's Kyle Gibson, who, you know, in the non-Grayson Rodriguez camp, does have the highest ERA in this rotation. 4.76 ERA for Gibson, but he's been eating the innings, right? 121 innings on the season for Kyle Gibson. He'll start tonight, and you hope he can pretty easily add to that total at 121. But it's really been feast or famine for Kyle Gibson. Like, he was amazing, right, on Thursday night in Tampa. He'll have some other good starts. He'll have some terrible starts. You just, you kind of don't know like what to expect from Kyle Gibson at this point every time out there. But it's an interesting way to get to the the eating the innings. It's kind of similar to what Jordan Lyles did last year, right? Where some starts would just be like, what are we doing with this guy? And then he goes seven innings, two runs, and you're like, send him out there every fifth day. I think Kyle Gibson... While he may not even start a playoff game for the O's, I think he's going to be in this rotation till the end of the season. I don't think he's losing a spot, right? Because he's eating innings, he's giving them depth, he's a veteran leader, and you know he can get through the fifth or sixth inning even when he's struggling. And that's big for a team that needs to stop giving so many innings to a bullpen that's kind of struggling right now before they get to Bautista. So I think Gibson, it's going to continue to be up and down, but I think he's safe. Then you have Kyle Bradish, who's going to go Wednesday this week. I mean, what more can you say about Kyle Bradish? He's been so good this year. 3.05 ERA in 97 and a third innings. That was after a bad start to the year, right? He gets hit on the foot with the line drive. He had a 6.14 ERA in April. He's been dominant since. Like the ERA in the one twos and threes in the months since. He's been on an awesome run right now for the Orioles. Another good start Friday night despite the loss to the Rays. The stuff looks great. The slider's dominant. It's awesome to watch Bradish kind of turn into what I've always thought he could be, which... I still say it. I think he's going to be better than Grayson Rodriguez. I really do. I, I believe in Kyle Bradish that much. Now, he's at 97 and a third innings. He threw 145 and a third last year between AAA and the big. So he's still pretty far off from that innings high that he's had in his professional career. Like, he's still, you know, about 50 innings away from that. So we're talking, you know, eight, nine starts. He is still away from that. And... I really think we're not going to have an issue with Kyle Bradish in innings this year. Like, he's going to exceed 145 and a third. Like, he'll throw more than 150, I think. 
but that's not so much over the number where you should be concerned. I think Kyle Bradish is the guy you can kind of just set and forget about it. Like he's pitching so well, you're not worried about the innings. He's in a good spot. Next is Grayson Rodriguez, where, listen, he's been a different pitcher since he's come back up. There's no doubt about it. Yes, he has a 6.91 ERA and 56 innings this year at the Bigs, but in the two starts since the Orioles recalled him, he's looked like a different pitcher. This is much closer to the Grayson Rodriguez we've been promised and the guy he's been in the minor leagues. Now, between the minors and the majors this year, he's thrown 97 and a third innings because he did make a lot of starts in AAA after he went back down. His professional high in innings is 103. That's what he threw in 2021 in the minor league. So he is essentially one start away. Like if Grayson Rodriguez can pitch five and two-thirds innings, again, if he can get through six innings in his start this weekend against the Yankees, he will surpass his innings high in any professional season. That starts to come in late July. That's a little concerning. Now, it's not mean doesn't mean they're going to shut him down right away. But it's something they're going to monitor. Now, they planned on giving Grayson Rodriguez a lot more innings last year. And then he got hurt at the end of June and basically didn't pitch again until late September when he tried to come back. That's about it right there. So, Rodriguez is someone where maybe they would skip a start or two. And maybe have to monitor his innings. Maybe have to cap him at five innings every time he goes out there. Because Mike Elias has gone on the record and said, hey, there is no definitive proof that you know, limiting guys' innings really does prevent arm injuries. It's good that he said that because, A, that's true, and, B, that makes you think a little better about you know they're not going to like shut Grayson Rodriguez down in September or anything. But it's something to think about here. But I, right now, I mean, he's going to stay in the rotation. And then you have Tyler Wells. 3.65 ERA, been really consistent all year, 111 innings until these last two starts. I mean, he got the longer break out of the All-Star break, which I think he deserved. I think he needed it. You know, he hasn't thrown a lot of innings in his career. But he's just been a different pitcher. I mean, he gets slammed in those two innings against the Dodgers. And then he's just a Tyler Wells I didn't recognize at all on Sunday with four walks and two hit batters only lasting four and a third. He had gone at least five innings in every start in the first half. He's gone two innings and four and a third in the next two. So he's up to 111 innings. His professional high was 119 and a third innings. That was in 2018 in the lower minors, high A and double A with the Minnesota Twins. That was before the Tommy John surgery. So you're looking at a guy who post Tommy John has not really come that close to that number. And after two more starts, he's going to have a new career high for innings at the professional level. Wells could be the guy that maybe skips some starts, maybe spend some time in the bullpen here. I mean, listen, you have Cole Irvin, right? He's currently in your pen as your long man. But the nice thing about Irvin is he's pitched almost 200 innings each of the last two years with the Athletics. He's not even close to that number now because, you know, even though he was starting in AAA, he's pitching the bullpen some, hasn't been a consistent number. He's not going to get to 200 innings this year. But that means his arm should be fresh enough to fill in whenever the O's would need it. And he's pitched much better as of late. And I think they can trust him a lot more if they did have to throw Irvin back in the rotation for a little bit. So the question is, you know, do the O's acquire a starting pitcher? We'll talk about who that could be in the, in the, more in the episodes leading up to the deadline over the next few days. But here's what I think they would do if the O's acquired a starting pitcher right now. I think immediately Tyler Wells would go to the bullpen. Just to give him a little break, we saw how good he can be in the pen when he was dominant down there in the back end in 2021 in his first year with the Orioles. I think they maybe won't pitch him in like the eighth or ninth innings, but he'd be a fifth, sixth inning, maybe multi-inning reliever. They'd let him kind of slow down, and then they'd build him back up for a bit. And once they started building him back up, as long as he's looking okay and pitching better, I think eventually down the stretch, 
he would maybe replace Dean Kramer. And I know Kramer just threw seven innings of one-run ball, but I just think with those peripherals, at some point it's going to go off the cliff. And remember, Kramer was set to start the 2022 season in the Orioles' bullpen before he got injured warming up for his first outing in Tampa, missed two months with the oblique, and by the time he came back, the Orioles needed a starter, so they inserted him back into the rotation. He stayed there all year. But I do think it could be Wells to the bullpen if they acquire a starter, and then Kramer eventually goes there when Wells maybe rejoins the rotation. Now, the Orioles do have some other internal options that could help them if they needed it. Like, Austin Voth hasn't really been a starter this year, but he did it last year and had success. He just threw a rehab outing in AA. He's very close to being back from injury. Drew Rahm has not been very good in AAA, but he is on the 40-man roster and he is a starting pitcher. John Means, the word is now he should be back in early September. I wouldn't call him a starting pitcher by then. Maybe he's back in the bullpen by then, but at some point this year, Means should be ready to start a game for the Orioles. And then you got D.L. Hall currently still like lifting weights, throwing on backfields in Sarasota. Not really sure if he's injured or not. If he does come back, I'm pretty sure he's just going to be a reliever. I hope he does, but I feel like he's not a starter, but there's still that little sliver of hope that he could be this year. But, but that's kind of where the rotation is at this point. Do I think they need a starting pitcher? Yes, I think it would certainly help them to acquire one, and I think they would have a plan if they did it. Is the rotation pitching well? I think it is, but they could use some help. That's what I'll say. I still think they do need one starting pitcher, and we'll talk about later in the week maybe who that could be for the Orioles. But we do want to finish off with a couple of Orioles news and notes because there was a tweet slash report on Monday during the game from a reputable MLB reporter who linked the Orioles and Shohei Otani. So we got to talk about it coming up next. So the Orioles did take down the Phillies 2-1 on Monday night to take the first game of a three-game set. Game two is coming up tonight for the Orioles. They will look to clinch a series win in the city of brotherly love. And it's going to be kind of a fun one. It is Kyle Gibson going against his old team. Gibson pitched for the Phillies for the last year and a half. Was solid for them until September of last year when he completely fell apart. Lost his rotation spot. And basically spent the postseason as the emergency long relief man. Threw only three innings in that postseason for the Phillies last year. Well, this year with the O's, he's got that 4.76 ERA that I talked about in 121 innings. But his last start against Tampa, six innings, three runs, seven hits, eight Ks, and two walks on Thursday night. Hopefully, he can replicate that. The Orioles will take on Taiwan Walker, the right-hander who will go in Game 2 tonight for the Phillies. The 30-year-old who they brought in this season has a 4.11 ERA in 20 starts this year. His last time out was... Kind of up and down against Milwaukee. Six innings, four runs, six hits, six Ks, and two walks. And you can catch every pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of Game 2 between the O's and the Phillies with the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. But there's a small little sliver of hope that maybe one day soon you could tune in to SiriusXM through the SXM app and listen to Shohei Otani playing for the Orioles. Now, I don't think this is very probable at all. But John Morosi of MLB Network, who is a very reputable MLB source, tweeted out during the game on Monday night, the Orioles and Diamondbacks have inquired with the Angels about Shohei Otani's availability. Now, Morosi did say the contact has been described as the team's doing their due diligence, and he feels like the Angels are still kind of up in the air whether or not they're going to trade Otani. Now, I personally think they are not going to trade Otani, right? The Angels have gotten a little bit hot lately. 
They're only four games out of the wild card. They're going to get Mike Trout back at some point. And I know he's a pending free agent, and I know the Angels probably aren't going to make the playoffs because they're just they're just simply not one of the best six teams in the American League. But when you're still close to the playoffs, you cannot trade away the greatest player maybe ever in this game. I think the Angels just got to keep him. I think they're going to keep him. If they would have like tanked right before the deadline and lost you know, 9 of 10, I think they would have traded him. But at this point, I think they're going to keep him. But it's at least nice to see, hey, the O's are checking in, seeing what it would cost doing their due diligence. That is Mike Elias, Eve Rosenbaum, Sigmai Dell doing their job with the Angels. Not to throw a cold, wet blanket over this, I feel like it's kind of a nothing report, right, from John Morosi. It's just, hey, good team has checked in on good player. Good team's front office has done its job at the trade deadline. It's not really much more than that. I don't think they're trading Otani. Even if they were, I just don't think the Orioles are going to give up enough of their system to get him, especially as a rental player. It's going to take a lot to get the best player in baseball. It's not going to happen, but why I wanted to bring it up is A, to say, I don't, at least my thoughts on it, that it's not going to happen. Again, I don't even think he's going to get traded. But B, that is to say, it is kind of cool to see the O's linked to Otani in a tweet from a legitimate baseball reporter. Who would have thought that would happen a couple years ago? That's how far this team has come. So at least that's fun. Now, the other tweet we saw and report we saw from a reputable baseball source was from Buster Olney of ESPN, no matter how you may feel about Buster Olney and the Orioles. He tweeted this out the other day that rival executive expect the Orioles to be measured buyers at the trade deadline. And he said they'd be willing to deal from their hitter surplus to upgrade the team, but not going for the big splash at the deadline. And this is kind of similar to what I've heard from some people over the last week or so that they think the O's are still going to try to add and will probably still make at least one more move before the deadline after adding Fujinami last week but that they're probably not going to make the big like Dylan Cease move or Corbin Burns move or obviously Shohei Otani move. That that move's not going to happen. It's going to be more of a reliever on the fringes who helps maybe a starter on the fringes that they can get him for the right price. That seems like what it's going to be. And, and I'd love for the O's to go all in. I think it'd be awesome. I still think this team with some minor upgrades can play for a World Series. I think whatever they do is going to be underwhelming at the deadline. It's just kind of the way of this front office and the way of Mike Elias. I would rather them go big, make a splash. They have the prospect surplus to go do it and still backfill that system to still have all that depth in the minor leagues. They just have too many hitters. You can't play all these guys at the big league level. You got to trade away some of them, get some big league talent, especially some pitching that can help you. I just don't see them doing it. Again, I think they're going to go get another reliever and maybe could get another starter even but it's not going to be that Dylan Cease type name. I, I just don't see it happening, especially with the reports that are out there at this point. And then the last piece of Orioles news and notes before we let you go is just, we'll get an update on Aaron Hicks later. But, you know, if Hicks is out for a little bit of time, I know there's been a lot of calls for Heston Kerstad. He can't really play center field. Actually, he can't play it at all. Colton Kowser's okay out there, not amazing. And the O's would rather not play Austin Hayes in center. I think they've shown that recently with how much Kowser's playing out there. So if Hicks does go on the IL or has to miss some time, we're going to see Ryan McKenna. Just be ready for it. He can play center field. He's been in the bigs for a while. We're going to see Ryan McKenna. He's probably going to platoon with Colton Kowser for a bit if Hicks is out. You could see Kerstad down the road if it's long-term for Hicks and Mullins, but right now it's going to be McKenna. Maybe this would push the O's to trade for a center fielder. Maybe they'd look at a Cody Bellinger potentially but it's probably going to be McKenna moving forward if it's more of a short-term thing for Aaron Hicks. 
But that'll do it for today's episode. I'll be back with you tomorrow recapping game two between the Orioles and the Phillies and maybe taking a look at the Orioles' bullpen. Probably the part of the team that needs to be upgraded the most right now. We'll do a bullpen reset. That's coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. But before I go, also have a fun episode coming up later this week. On Friday, going to have my full Orioles trade deadline preview episode. And I want to hear from you. Do you have some trade proposals for me? Put them in the YouTube comments right here on this video. In the YouTube comments, give me a trade proposal for the Orioles. And maybe I might consider it and talk about it on Friday's trade deadline preview episode. But again, that's coming up Friday, back tomorrow as well. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, your first place team, every day. 